Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. Uh, Good morning. Leading the news in my inbox this morning is news out of Israel. Benjamin Netanyahu has been the prime minister of Israel since 2009, previously having served three terms as prime minister in the 1990s. And so for many people, uh, not only in Israel, but around the world, Benjamin Netanyahu is pretty much the only person that we've known to serve in that particular role. It appears As of midnight last night, Israeli time, uh, his time in that particular office may be over. It is being called a seismic event in Israeli politics. Uh, Mr. Netanyahu's rivals announced just before, I mean, something like 38 minutes before the midnight deadline, that they had uh, agreed to a deal to form a new government, paving the way for the, uh, the end of Netanyahu's uh, leadership as prime minister of Israel. So this coalition government uh, would replace Netanyahu um, with several uh, others. So uh, Yair Lapid, who leads the centrist Yesh Atid party, and Naftali Bennett, who heads the right-wing Yamana party, would team up with six other parties um, to fill a number of roles uh, in in the leadership of Israel. So definitely a story we will be following in the coming uh, days and weeks and months and potentially years. Uh, okay, so the other maybe biggest headline of the day is related to email. So here's what I want to have us consider for just a moment. What might we learn? What assumptions might we we make? What conclusions might we draw? If the entire world read thousands of our personal emails from a particular span of time, let's say March and April of 2020. So that's the day that Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, is having today. The entire world has now read and thinks it now knows, is making lots of assumptions about and drawing conclusions from thousands of his personal emails from March and April of 2020 published by the Washington Post and others uh, via a a a FOIA Act, which gives us access to um, the emails of federal employees. So uh, just consider for a moment. Now, here's a stop and pause for you. Uh, Some of you send me emails. My guess is you don't anticipate those are ever going to be made public based on uh, the way you choose to write and the things you choose to say. The same may be true of, uh, of Dr. Fauci's emails. So consider just for a moment, not the emails that we might find in your inbox, but the emails that we might read in the inboxes of others, should they be made public. Now, granted, the, uh, the conversations related to Dr. Fauci's emails are uh, sensitive in nature because of the role that he was playing in our nation then and now. 
and yes, I do find many of them interesting. I also recognize every email has a context. It has a sender. It has a recipient. And in his case, it often has a reply. Dr. Anthony Fauci was inundated with correspondence from not only his medical colleagues here in this nation, but around the world, hospital administrators, foreign governments, random strangers. He got about a thousand messages a day uh, at one point, and he tried to answer almost all of them. He personally answered as many as humanly possible, many of them between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m. So just want you to consider for a moment everything he was dealing with at the time um, and just the question of human capacity. Just ask the question for a moment of human capacity and have a little grace for others who are doing their very best, their dead level best, before we jump to conclusions uh, about um, what might have been going on Uh, in places and in ways that our conspiratorial minds might imagine. So, as people of truth and as the people of the truth, I would ask that you reserve judgment um, until you know more. Yes, we have a, well, in some people's view, treasure trove of personal emails. Let's just pause and consider for a moment. What might people think they've learned? What assumptions might they make? What conclusions might be, they be led to draw if, if they had access to all of our personal emails from March and April of last year? Ben Johnson is up next. He uh, works with The Daily Wire. You can find what he's writing at dailywire.com, and he's going to join me next. We're going to lead off with a conversation about the Supreme Court's big month. Joining me now, Ben Johnson. He is the rights writer. You can find him on Twitter as such. He writes now at dailywire.com. Ben, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Hey, good morning. Tell us about the Supreme Court's big month. Very big. Uh, and we could get some of these decisions as early as 10 o'clock this morning. But uh, there are several big cases that we're expecting decisions on Uh Really, two in particular, one that uh, is a topic we've talked about, come back to time and again, and that's religious conscience rights. You know, in Philadelphia, there's a Catholic agency that helps screen people who want to be foster parents. Uh, the, The city has many agencies that they use for this purpose, but Catholic Social Services happens to be one of uh, the total of 30 organizations that do this. It so happens, as the name would imply, they are Catholic and they follow Catholic teaching, even when it comes to the issue of marriage. So they say that a child should be raised by a father and a mother. Uh, They will not place a child with a same-sex couple. Now, the city of Philadelphia found out about this. They have a non-discrimination ordinance. And so they said, if you want to be part of our program, you have to abide by that ordinance. It doesn't matter what your religion says. Uh, As it turns out, not a single gay person has ever actually come to them to try to adopt a child from them. But the city decided to kick them off of the program anyway. 
Uh, and of course, if, if anyone had, they just would have referred them again to one of the 29 other organizations in the city that does that. But uh, nonetheless, they, they removed them from, the, uh, from this, and the Catholic Social Services are saying this is an act of religious discrimination because it only applies to traditional religions that have this kind of traditional moral teaching on the definition of marriage. So we'll see how that comes out. But that's, uh, this is very important. It's, it's an act of secular imperialism. It's imposing a secular left-wing immorality on church institutions. And they think since, since the First Amendment bars them from dealing with church doctrine, unlike in other countries that have state churches, uh, this will allow them, if they can get to the religious institutions, then you have a de facto uh, ban on the church itself, or at least it's constricted. So that's the big one to watch in uh, Philadelphia. Also, there's a, a, a voting right case in, in Arizona dealing with banning ballot harvesting and uh, people who cast ballots at the wrong polling place. That's important uh, just because of the context of all the voting rights laws that are being passed around the country today. One of the other ones that has a, a privacy component involves a 14-year-old girl who posted kind of a foul mouth message on Snapchat, and the school uh, in turn uh, kept her off of the junior varsity team for a year. The question is, can a school punish a child for something she says that's completely unrelated to school events or school property? Uh, if so, can they monitor you? Where where can they stop monitoring? Can they monitor you and what your child says anywhere? And can they punish them for what they say anywhere? So that's that's got some definite privacy overtures. And then, of course, Obamacare is up. Uh, the way that Obamacare was handed down, uh, of course, the, the the original case before the Supreme Court uh, several years ago said that there's nothing in the Constitution that gives the Congress the right to tell people that you have to purchase something like insurance. Chief Justice John Roberts originally bought that. He changed his vote at the last minute the last time around, and he saved the law by saying that since there's a tax, there's a penalty on people who don't buy insurance, he considers that a tax, and Congress has the right to tax people. President Trump removed that tax, eliminated it all the way down to zero. So the new case says since there's no tax, then the bill is unconstitutional and Obamacare has to be repealed. So we'll be looking for those big four cases. And a lot of the time you can tell how they're going to come out based on who does the writing of the opinion. Okay, so tell us about that. Let's just imagine for a moment that one of the new justices writes the opinion or um, or the chief justice writes the opinion. The chief justice assigns the writing of opinions. Is that correct? That's right. So John Roberts says, you know, you'll do it or you'll do it. And uh, generally, I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to Amy Coney Barrett and what she has to write in her jurisprudence. Uh, I've read some of her lower court rulings. She is rigorous. Uh, she's originalist, but she goes through all of the mechanisms of how the law came about and what the people who framed the law intended it uh, and how it would apply in a modern day context. She doesn't just leave it in the in, in the 18th century, but she applies it in a modern day context based on that understanding. And it will be fascinating. I think it will be a school in originalism if she gets assigned to write any of these opinions. All right, we're going to take a very brief uh, pause. When we come back, Ben Johnson and I are going to continue our conversation. We're going to um, we're going to look at a situation in a Maryland Catholic school where there's some um, wow, ten, I'll, I'll use the word tension, tension over well a number of hot button issues. We're going to take that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You're my defender. All right. Uh, 
Ben Johnson and I are going to seek to unroll the scroll uh, in an article in the Washington Post on an incident that took place. And the, the language here is in a language arts class. The challenge is much of this happened over Zoom. Um, and the conversation took place between a member of the clergy who's not a regular speaker in this particular class. So, um, Ben, what happened and what's going on now? It was very confusing, as you mentioned, but a school in La Plata, Maryland, Catholic school, uh, there was there was an issue about um, a, a right to life. The school was having a, a, an assignment. Everyone had to write about it. And several people started bullying a pro-life student who was biracial. Uh, a lot of the media coverage doesn't get into it. They used a despicable term that is used against black people, one of the most offensive terms that it can be used racially against him. And so the school administrator was asked to step in and please talk to the people who were conducting this online bullying. He spoke to these girls, and he, since this was about uh, the right to life and they were in favor of abortion, they were bullying this young man because he favored the right to life, he mentioned the fact that Margaret Sanger has ties to eugenics. She was a dedicated eugenicist who wanted to eliminate human weeds. And he talked about the racist roots of abortion. And he said that uh, being aborted is far worse than slavery. He mentioned that as a sort of a stray comment. But he was talking uh, in, in moral terms to get, try and get people to use their critical skills. And he asked them to defend their thesis. They got offended and they said that he was being offensive because he was belittling slavery. Uh, and they said that he was engaging the mother of one of the alleged bullies said that uh, what he was saying wasn't Christian at all. It was just political rhetoric. And really, I think that gets to the heart of it. We'll talk about that in just a second. But they ended up petitioning the archbishop, uh, Cardinal Wilton Gregory, who is uh, known in Catholic circles as something of a liberal, to remove uh, this priest, Father Larry Swink, from uh, being the administrator of this school. And ultimately, uh, Larry Swink ended up saying that he was stepping back voluntarily whether it was actually voluntary, whether it was pressured to step back, of course, we will never know. But what we do know is that uh, where, where they're talking about this being political rhetoric, uh, the fact of the matter is saying that you're in favor of the right to life is not political rhetoric. It's when politicians say that there's nothing wrong with aborting an unborn child, that they're stepping onto moral ground. And when Christians meet them on moral ground and hold to the the Christian position, whether it's Protestant, Catholic, evangelical, whatever your background may be, when you meet them on that ground, people have become so accustomed to political leaders setting the agenda that they accuse Christians of being political when it's just the other way around. So that's, that's I think, really at the heart of this. Uh, ultimately, again, this, this man stepped back uh, from his position. This is yet another act of, of what I, the term that I used in that uh, last segment, secular imperialism. It's to try and stop the expression of Christian or conservative viewpoints, even in religious institutions. And ultimately, in this case, they happen to be successful. But look, uh, it's the same case here as it was when we were talking about placing children uh, for adoption. If these parents don't want their children to hear the, the Christian or the Catholic point of view on abortion, they have a vista of secular schools they could choose to uh, send their children to, and they would hear nothing but the secular opinion on these issues. If you choose to go to a Christian school, that means that you want the children to be formed in a certain particular kind of way of thinking, a particular mode, and a particular moral compass that happens to involve some of the issues that politicians speak about when they overstep their bounds. 
Yeah, some of the things that leapt out at me um, from this story, you know, this is a Catholic school, and Catholic schools are governed by Catholic theology, and they are governed by Catholic priests and uh, in the Catholic Church hierarchy. So, you know, while I understand um, the the secular appeal being made by these students through their parents to the episcopacy of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, I also feel like there's a failure to understand that Catholic schools are private schools and they're private Christian institutions and they have every right to be governed by uh, the theology in which they are rooted. And so part of this, you know, I, I felt like that was utterly missed by the Washington Post in their piece. I also felt like uh, no concern was paid whatsoever to what happened to the pro-life male student who actually was upholding the the position that is taught by uh, the school and the uh, Christian, uh, I guess I can use the word denomination in reference to Catholicism, the, you know, the mm-hmm. Catholic expression of the church and therefore the Catholic school that he attends. Like he was upholding the position of that he's being taught and the bullies. Right. right. Are are girls in this cl- in this case, and the bullied student is a pro life male, and no concern is paid to him by the Washington Post. No, you're right, absolutely none. And and I think you keyed in on the key thing. If you or I sent our children to a Catholic school, there would be things we would disagree with because we're not Catholic. That exactly. doesn't mean that the Catholic Church has to change its teaching to satisfy us. Uh, it's it's really sad to me that uh, Cardinal Gregory didn't tell. These uh, the parents uh, who were appealing to him you know, that there were uh, public schools is, available where they needed to send their yeah. students. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. It's, if, you, if you don't want to be taught in the Catholic faith, that's fine. There's the door. You can take your your uh, tuition and your bullies and take them into the nearest Catholic, the non-Catholic school of your choice. It is it's it frustrates me as a person who um, believes in education. I believe in uh Christian education, I believe in classical Christian education, which, you know, I, I know that's not what kids at Catholic schools are uh, are being offered, you know, and I'm I'm a fan of um, of school choice. But I also recognize that when you make the choice to send your your child to a particular variety of school, you are acknowledging that you are going to be a part of their system. You are not seeking oh, you shouldn't be anyway, seeking to assert your uh, secular autonomous views on on a religious school of any variety. Uh, so well, I know yeah. I have strong opinions about these things. No, but you're absolutely right. And I think we, we've sort of eclipsed that as a society where uh, I, I've used the term VIP, we're a VIP society, volitional infinite plasticity, which means that whatever we want, uh, we should be able to change reality infinitely in any direction to suit our needs. VIP, volitional infinite plasticity. And so if you're a secularist and you go into a Catholic school, you believe that uh, the Catholic Church should have to change its 2,000-year-old doctrine in order to suit you. Or if you go to an evangelical school, then the Bible should be changed to suit your interests. And uh, that's not the way that uh, religion that is a a revealed religion works. Uh, God himself makes the revelation. We receive the revelation or we reject it. But we don't get to hand down the law unless we replace the lawgiver with our own autonomy. Yeah, I'm just taking a deep breath. 
Um, I think these are very, very challenging days in which we live as Christians in this culture, and particularly those of us who work for Christian institutions, uh, institutions of education or higher education, um, we better be paying attention. We better be paying attention to this particular situation, this particular story, uh, and this particular outcome, because this is coming for everybody. I mean, in this case, it's seventh grade girls who uh, whose personal vision of physical autonomy is being asserted over the authority of the Roman Catholic Church, and they're winning. Um, and so what that may look like in your local uh, school or your local Christian university or your local uh, Christian ministry, you know, is going to be a little bit different. It might not be seventh grade girls, um, but trust me when I tell you it's coming and they're going to have the support of those like uh, the writers of this article at the Washington Post. They're going to get the media. And they got them, as you said. It was just amazing to me the indifference that was paid to the victim of the bullying. Uh, mm-hmm. Typically, if if you were to say something, and, and again, the, the term is so vile uh, that it's it's tremendously offensive. But if anyone were to say that, that would be the lead of any story, unless there's something deeper that you as a media institution want to push. There's some higher agenda, and that would be a complicating factor that would get in the way, like the coarseness, like the indifference, like the cruelty, the petty cruelty that was being shown by multiple people against a, a seventh grade, we're talking about a 12, 13-year-old boy. So uh, this is this tells you a lot about the media lens and uh, the pure audacity of people to think that uh, they can change what a Christian institution teaches by majority vote. All right. We got to leave it right there. Ben, as always, thank you so much for helping us unscroll the scroll in this particular conversation and, um, you know, read read through and between the lines uh, of what the media is covering today. That's Ben Johnson. He is the rights writer. You can find him as such on Twitter or you can read what he's writing at dailywire.com. Ben, thanks so much. Thank you. God bless, Carmen. Likewise. We'll be right back. Alrighty, uh, we talked a few weeks ago, or we touched on the topic of neuroplasticity and the subject of discipleship. And I thought to myself, I want to return to that topic, and I want to talk with Kathy Branzell about that. And you say to yourselves, Kathy Branzell, isn't she the head of the National Day of Prayer Task Force? What in the world would she know or have to say about neuroplasticity and discipleship? Well... <laughs> Come to find out, it's actually her area of expertise. So Kathy Branzell joins me next. We're going to talk about Romans chapter 12, and we're going to talk about our brains and how they work and the topic of discipleship. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Do you have an aimless teen living at home who lacks motivation and drive? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Many of today's parents are facing a generation of high school graduates that can't seem to find direction or purpose. They won't get a job and they don't plan to continue their education. And in their eyes, the future is just one big scary unknown. So if your recent grad seems to be stuck in a rut, it's time to get him going again. Require him to search for a part-time job or take some classes at a junior college. Encourage him to discover new interests and hobbies. It's okay to wander aimlessly for a while. But at some point, you need to insist on taking steps forward. Before long, he'll be off the couch and back on track to finding his way. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. 
right, joining me now, Kathy Branzell. You know her as the head of the National Day of Prayer Task Force. She's joining me today with, um, you know, wearing one of her other hats. So, Kathy, welcome back. Hey, good morning. Good morning. So um, you are really quite an expert in the area of brain science. Why have you invested so much time exploring uh, the life of the mind and how the brain works? Because I love how you can take science and lay it on top of scripture and hear God whisper, I told you so. You know, there's just so much as um, really what sparked it was going over to Israel with somebody who um, was an archaeologist, is an archaeologist, but also knows Jewish culture in the time of the first century BC and AD. And so there's so many little nuances in scripture that we miss because we don't know the culture, we don't know their original language, and we just miss these sweet nuggets. Nothing that's going to change our theology, but these incredible sweet nuggets um, that are buried deep in Scripture. And then um, to understand how God knit us together then. I wanted to start really learning about what is it that God's saying you know, um, to us here. Uh, what is what does it mean that anxiety dries the bones? Well, guess what? Sure enough, anxiety does dry the bones biologically, uh, the chemistry makeup of our lives. And so just learning these little bits and pieces lets us know more about this amazing, wonderful God who created us and how he did. I just, I, I love that. So when we talk about the way God knit us together, um, you know, I think maybe most of us, um, think about the way God knit us together in terms of personality or the way that he knit us together, you know, as a human body. But we don't often think about the fact that every synapse, every neuron, every uh, portion, every fold in our cerebral cortex is something that God did. Um, We would never be able to sort it all out, but God actually sorted it all together. So talk about Mm -hmm. that. Talk about the, the brain and the way God wired the brain to be rewired. Yes. And, and how, I mean, just think about how amazing it is that we get to learn, you know, and we're his disciples and disciple means pupil. It means student and how he wired us from the moment that we, uh, you know, it would be even, I wish I knew more about how even the brain works while still in the womb, but even at birth, And just think about how much a baby learns, how much and how quickly we watch them change. And and to understand that that he is the potter and we are the clay, he gave us the ability um, in his hands. We're his workmanship. And so to know that we get to create um, what experts call highways or pathways in our brain, how when you put something into practice and it really becomes a habit, it's like muscle memory. It's your go-to. Think about your go-to thoughts. Um, Think about uh, why we do fire drills with children in schools or at work or, you know, anywhere else. It's because we need that muscle memory. We need that pathway carved in our brain so that when there is a real emergency and the chemistry in our brain has turned to panic and adrenaline and epinephrine, that we already have the pathway, the highway carved in our brain to know what to do automatically 
um, quote unquote, without thinking. And, and that's true of our thoughts. Um, you know, that would be something interesting for us to talk about in a world that is really a big discussion right now is mental and emotional health. Well, I love the way um, that you're describing discipleship there, right? So if I am, maybe one of the things that frustrates me most, Kathy, about many, many Christians is that they don't keep learning. It's as mm-hmm. if some somewhere along the way, I don't know if it's high school or maybe, you know, just after high school, um, they stop learning. They stop learning what the Bible has to say about things. They stop learning. Um, they stop tending to the things of Christ um, with any yeah. sort of follow me, learn the patterns of the of the way that I walk, um, learn the patterns of my thoughts, learn the patterns of my life, and pattern yours after them. Like, right, somewhere along the way, many people sort of stop being active in their discipleship in terms of mm-hmm. allowing God to bring them by one degree of glory to another into greater conformity with Christ. So yeah. we were wired for our brains to be rewired. We were wired by God, this neuroplasticity idea. We were wired by God for transformation and for yes. sanctification. And that's an ongoing process. Right. Yes. Until the moment that we step into glory, you know, we never, ever stop learning because it's part of our relationship. Um, I would equate what you just said to um, a marriage that quit trying, that just said, you know what, um, knowing you, knowing um, what makes you happy, knowing what bothers you, knowing what interests you, knowing your favorite foods, knowing your dreams, knowing your goals, knowing how I could be your helpmate, that doesn't matter to me anymore. You know, there's, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And in every relationship, but especially the relationship with our Lord and Savior who gave us this life, we are image bearers, his purpose carriers, his Holy Spirit dwellers. Um, That is a relationship that we want to grow and know and go in every single day. And that happens in prayer And that happens in his word, because you see so many people who are discouraged. You see so many people who feel desperate, who have, they've lost their hope because they've lost their way because they quit reading their Bible and they've forgotten what God says about them and to them. And if you really, really feel like I have no idea where I am, I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea if I even want to make it through today. Is it worth it? The answers are all in God's words, and you've got to remember his faithfulness. Remember what he says to you and about you. You know, we, we, we talk to ourselves in such mean and angry ways. We're, we're so condemning of ourselves, you know, so much negativity, and that's not what God says to us and about us. And so we've got to fill our minds with truth, not trash. And we've got to submit to the Holy Spirit who continues to teach us and equip us in a fruitful life. 
Kathy, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's talk about some of the very tangible hows. So, you know, we read in this instruction in Romans that we're supposed to be no longer conformed to this world, but um, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, this this actual active rewiring of our brains more and more into conformity with who Christ is. Um, let's talk about how that happens, like practically how yes. Uh, yes. Do I uh, engage in discipleship in such a way that um, that this happens? So I'm going to have that conversation with Kathy Branzell. We're taking a very brief break. You can also find her at the National Day of Prayer. We'll be right back. I've been Continuing my conversation with Kathy Branzell. Uh, we're talking about neuroplasticity and discipleship. We're talking about how our brains work by God's good design and God's calling to us that uh, over the course of our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ, we um, we work to change the way we think. We work uh, to change the way our brains work. Um, he designed them uh, in that way, and we ought to be maximizing that as Christians. So let's talk about how it happens. How does it? How does it practically happen that my mind is transformed um, and renewed? Yeah. So, um, I have, <laughs> I have a, I have post-it notes everywhere, but I have a post-it note that I'm staring at right now that stays on my desk that says, hold that thought. Mm-hmm. So this moment of take every thought captive, you need to think about what you're thinking about because that is building a highway. Um, that is building a practice, a belief, and we, we behave as we believe. And so really start thinking about what you're thinking about and ask yourself, is this trash or is it truth? Is, is this found in God's word? Get back in the word of God. And, you know, you can, you can find any word you can, you can go to your favorite Bible app. You can go online and, and put in, uh, you know, the fruit of the spirit and compare and contrast what you're thinking to what God says. And, and so start there. And that is a practice that will um, really start rebuilding highways because you've got to toss out the trash. You've got to say, that is a lie. That's something Satan wants me to believe. That's something that somebody said in my childhood that wasn't true. It was said out of their own hurt. It was said out of their own insecurity. You know, hurting people hurt people. And so when somebody lashes out at you, Trace that fruit that just came out of their mouth, that action that just happened down to the root and pray for them, but don't absorb the emotional impact that they just threw at you. Um, Recently, I've had to pray, Lord, give me your eternal heavenly perspective on people without me handing over um, the power to run my emotions. I don't want to give them the keys to my emotions while I'm trying to minister to them. Don't let them hurt me or take me down a path that's not true. And so many of us live in the lies that other people have told us. And so get into the Word of God every day and remember what it says. Remember first and foremost what it says about God, because we live in His power we live in his promises and his love. Really, if you would enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, and you would remember and know God in a, in a deeper way every day, 
Learn something new about God every day. Remember something about him and write it down every day. And when you remember that you live under that power, under that authority, under that love, that gives you strength. You remember it's not not all up to you. He has knit you together in your mother's womb. uh, You're his workmanship created for great works that he's already prepared. Look at all the ED words, the words that end in ED in scripture and realize it's already done. He's established you for such a time as this for his good works. And we get to, as his children, develop and use Everything that he's put into us, our talents, our gifts, our education, our experiences, good and bad, he's discipled us and disciplined us in ways for success for what he created us to accomplish here on earth. And so take that thought captive, write down truth. If you have to, like me, put post-it notes all over your house, write it on your mirror, memorize it, meditate it. And every time you go back to that wrong thought detox it. And that's what Caroline Leaf tells us. Detox your brain of the lies, of the trash, and replace it with truth. Scripture says you can't just sweep out the demons and clean house. You've got to fill it. You've got to fill it with God and his goodness. Abide in him. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. We are not talking about self-improvement today. You will fail if you rely on yourself. I'm talking about spirit improvement today, Holy Spirit improvement uh, that dwells in you, that equips you to live a fruitful, fruit-filled, faithful life um, that, that will just carry you through God's word. So remember his faithfulness, write down truth, meditate on truth, and, um, and just operate in that truth. Um, I wrote down, uh, remember, write it down, ponder in prayer, concentrate. Um, I could add there, meditate, uh, meditate on. Those are good. Um, those are good, really practical things. I want to touch on one last topic, Kathy. Um, and this this is a conversation that we could have in an ongoing way. I think we don't think enough about sort of how we're actually physically thinking about things, How what's happening in our brain when mm-hmm. we are choosing to be either in the Word of God or just um, stuffing our mind and our time with the worldly, uh, wor- worldly stuff, right? So, I mean, what we consume in terms of media um, is, is making neuropathways as well, and so is right. forming thought patterns. Okay, so I want to talk about the challenge of calcification. We know that plaque in the brain leads to all kinds of uh, dementia. Um, it, right. it actually, it, our brains actually get calcified. Um, that's not what God intends. So keeping those neuropathways open and recharging the system and drawing new neuropathways, like this is a part of how we keep our brains um, positively engaged. And this is a part of discipleship as well. Like God made us this way. Right. Right. I mean, in the whole use it or lose it, that is true for our brains that they they show, you know, doing puzzles, uh, keeping your brain active. Those are important things. But spiritually, most important 
is to stay in his word, to stay in prayer, to stay in worship, to journal, to memorize scripture. I think that's one of the greatest things that we can do, um, you know, to keep our brains and our pathways flowing in, in the right and righteous direction. Uh, otherwise, you have to realize that Satan will talk to you all day long. Uh, you, you give him a foothold, you give him a negative thought, you give him a grumble and a complaint, and he's going to run with that. I mean, think about it. You get upset about something, and what do you do? You play it over and over and over in your mind all day. You have conversations with yourself that you're never going to have with other people. You get all riled up. You feel sick to your stomach. And Satan goes, wow, that was a great day. Thank you. Um, mm. we, we have to go, nope. I am not going to think about that. I am going to think about, and you go to your memory verse, memorize a verse every day or every week. And um, this is part of growing in Christ that just what you said before, uh, he's conforming us to the character of Christ. It's the objective and the ultimate goal of our life. And we have to be careful that we don't let the enemy in to start doing his work and steal, kill, and destroy um, any part of our destiny, uh, any any part of the way God designed us. Uh, we don't want to hand that over to him. So we have to remember to, um, I'll take us one step beyond. If you're like, well, I already do that. I already read my Bible every day. I already journal. I already, and make sure you're putting it into practice because so many times in God's word, it's not just the action that matters, but the affection and the attitude in which we do it in. And I, I think back to when um, Saul, uh, King Saul, you know, he got impatient and he got worried and he got scared waiting for Samuel to come make the sacrifice and the Philistines are coming upon them. And Saul goes, oh, well, I'll just do it myself. And Saul breaks all the rules and offers a sacrifice to God. Now you would think, wait, hold on a second. He, he offered a sacrifice to God. That's a good thing. But he didn't do it the way God said only Samuel, you know, could come and offer that sacrifice, not the king. And and Amen. so we have to remember, God loves a cheerful giver. And so look for the words. If you're going to take it a step further, dig deeper and look for the attitude and the affection, because that's the mental health. That's the emotional health in the doing it. So it's not begrudging, begrudgingly or not just a habit, uh, check it off the list thing but a yeah. true act of affection and love and honor and worship. One of my favorite studies um, is to actually like look at um, the, the little acronym is TMOC. So look at the mind of Christ. What, mm. uh, what do I know about the mind of Christ? And what do I know about the mind of Christ from the Apostle Paul? How was the mind of Christ operating in Paul? How does Paul talk about the mind of Christ operating in us? Um, how is my mind uh, conformed to the mind of Christ. How do I bring that out in the matters of the day? On and on and on. Kathy, lots of um, lots of encouragement from our listeners that they want more of this. So you and I are going to have to return to this topic in the future. Agreed? That's great. Absolutely. Okay. And in the meantime, we'll be praying for them. Pick up Amen. one of these habits today. Start today. That's right. Start today. Renewing our minds. No longer conform to this world, but renewing our minds according to the Word of God. Um, that's it for this hour. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back.
Hey, thanks for your robust interaction on this topic. I definitely know there's more to be said. Thank you for beginning the conversation. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.